Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. What's up, Charleston? I had a great conversation today with Riley Beatty about performance and sports nutrition. She's a sports nutritionist and works with a lot of teams and athletes to help them fuel properly, perform better, and be ultimately better humans. Some things we talk about, a lot of things, nutrition during injuries, what to focus on there, misconceptions about carbs. We've talked about carbs before, how and why to fuel properly as an athlete, her opinion on Gatorade essential nutrients, basic meal structure, and her approach to changing someone's nutritional habits. Nutrition is such an important part of health. And if you're an athlete, you definitely want to listen to this one. Before we start, please subscribe to the show. Please follow us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston so you never miss an episode and you can stay up to date. Now here's Riley. What's up, Riley? Thank you so much for coming on the Healthy Charleston podcast. Also, we're doing a joint podcast today, right? Yes. So, so, so excited. And what is your podcast called? I am at the Eat More Carbs podcast. Awesome. All right, Riley, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah. Thanks again for having me on today. I'm a sports dietitian and I've been a registered dietitian for four years. Sports dietitian for a little over two. I'm recently new to Charleston. I've lived here a little over eight to nine months. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. I love it. So, far. Um, I moved here from Los Angeles with my husband, but originally from North Carolina, and we are so excited to be back in the South. Um, I'm still getting used to the mosquitoes and the humidity, mm. but... <laughs> Me too. I mean, they'll I'll never be used to them. They're horrible. It's a small price to pay, though, for the weather and the water and all of that. So very excited to be here. I run a virtual private practice where I help support athletes of all levels. I work with professional Olympic collegiate, and then also high school athletes. And I'm completely obsessed with anything sport and food related. Love that. Let's dive into your background. Like, tell me about your journey. Walk me through how you got so passionate about sports nutrition. Yeah. So I grew up like being outside every single day. I was the girl that always wanted to beat the boys at every single sport at recess. And I just was trying to play all the sports. Stalker is the one that stuck. And I am very lucky that I was able to compete collegiately. So I'm not going to date myself. I'm not going to put out any dates. Oh, come on. (laughs) I don't even know if I remember them. But I started off my collegiate career playing soccer at the University of Georgia. I went through an ankle injury, first year redshirted, and decided to transfer back to North Carolina, which was my home. And so I finished out my playing career at NC State. During that time, I was an undergrad. I did actually a dual undergrad degree with nutrition science and human biology. My goal was to actually go to medical school. I loved the science. I'm like the girl that loves organic chemistry. Oh my God, I did too. Really? I loved it. Yeah. But I don't use any of that now. Nope. (laughs) It was just like this fun little thing to kind of like nerd out on. Yeah, like you could draw the molecules and all of that stuff. I had like the the models that I would like bring yep. to the library in a Ziploc bag and like play with. Everyone was like, who is this nerd? <laughs> yep. We also, when we were at school, we had a library that had like a whiteboard table. So all the tables like at the library, there was this one section where everything was whiteboarded. So we would just go and like write all the models on the table and they would be like table long with like all the reactions and That's all that stuff. dream. Yeah. I need that now. I know. It was This awesome. is NC State? Yep. NC right, State. Go yeah. Wolfpack. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so was kind of that was the plan. And then first game of senior year, I tore my ACL, which was it contact or non? It was not contact. Um, I actually was kind of struggling with a groin injury. And I remember I was supposed to only play for 20 minutes. And I was not playing well in that first 20 minutes. And so I wanted to stay on the field and prove myself because I was mad. My ego got in the way, and probably five minutes later, it it was gone. I didn't actually know it at the time. They thought I had like maybe like a MCL tear or something like that, and I just remember 
I think it was the next day, like sitting in the training room and they use it, that machine to test to make sure that your ACL was there. And it was not. It was not. I just remember my boyfriend, who's my husband now, him, all of his friends, all my teammates were just like sitting around me as I was like laying back on that, the treatment table. And I just remember the athletic trainer's face dropping and then everybody else around me just like, and I knew that it was, was gone. So that's what kind of ended my playing career. And throughout that journey, I started to realize how important nutrition actually was. I was not fueling properly. I like to call nutrition fueling. And I just, I always get this question now as a sports dietitian where people are like, oh, were you so great about your nutrition when you were playing? And I wish I could be like, yes, you know, I was the best. But unfortunately, I was not. I was really scared of carbohydrates, proteins, and I definitely had some type of disordered eating, some body dysmorphia. And I really struggled through that with my recovery. And I think it definitely helped me back. I remember losing my entire quad muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, They had to put me at the back of the team photo because it was so small. Oh, no, because it was like so obvious. Yeah. Which I can laugh about now, but it wasn't great at the time. And kind of throughout that journey and taking a gap year in between finishing my playing career and then also like applying to medical school, I moved to California and I started to realize like how much I loved food, how I missed being around sports. And I found out about the job of being a sports dietitian. So I decided to kind of pursue that pathway. And there's a couple of different ways to become a dietitian. I had a nutrition science bachelor's, but I have to take these special credits that we have to do to like, we have like a residency similar to what a physician has. I'm sure you have something similar where you have to do hours. And to be eligible for that internship, I have to take these credits. So I continued my education at San Diego State University. There's a master's in nutrition science and a master's in exercise science program there. And I could take these special credits with that, those degrees. So I was out there, actually followed my boyfriend. He's not my husband though, so that worked out. Um, to Southern California, I figured out that San Diego State was a great place for me. And then during my gap year, I did some internships. I interned at UCLA, interned at the Olympic Committee. There's a couple different locations out in the SoCal area. I also, again, started that program at San Diego State, helped build a nutrition program for their athletic department. And then my fun fact is I interned at Taco Bell headquarters. Oh, wow. Lots of nutrition there. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a not well-known fact that there's two dietitians on staff actually at Taco Bell. And when I was <laughs> – you're laughing. <laughs> no, but I've heard this. I just – yes. I'm really excited to hear it from you. Yeah. So the goal was to make the food healthier without people knowing. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, because (laughs) let's be real. We're like not going to Taco Bell. Maybe we are, but I don't think most people are going to Taco Bell for the most nutritious meal of their life. Yeah, like if you're going to Taco Bell, if someone says, do you want to eat healthy? You're like, oh, never mind. I I wouldn't go to Taco Bell. That's not why people go there. So they had to do it in secret. I don't know if it was like in secret, but there's like slowly removing some of the sodium in the food, right? Especially for there's a big chunk of our population that relies on fast food as like a fuel source. And that there's nothing wrong with that, um, especially with all the like the recession and everything that's going on today. So making food, again, a little bit healthier for people who eat it, eat it on a consistent basis. So helping to remove some of the preservatives, artificial colors, artificial flavors, things like that was one of the goals. So... It was a really interesting experience. I used to sit right next to the test kitchen so I could see like what they were working on. We had a full functioning Taco Bell in the corporate building, which was crazy. Like celebrities would come in all the time, like doing partnerships with Taco Bell. (laughs) So I saw like Ryan Seacrest and Mario Lopez. Oh my God, I forgot about Ryan Seacrest. Yep. Wow. So those type of people were always there. So what's your favorite thing from Taco Bell? Have to know. I... Love like a crunchy taco, like mm-hmm. just the OG. like the hard shell, yes. hard shell. But you have to have hot sauce. Oh, okay. You're a you're a spicy girl, huh? Yeah, okay. I have to. Yeah, I think that's like the only thing I've ever tried from Taco Bell. Like I had it once, and I was like, this is the, I, I don't need to try anything else. Like I'm good. Oh, I think when you're you're talking about the time period where they try to make everything healthier was when they took my favorite item off the menu. Oh no, it was a nacho cheese gordita. Uh, yep, and it was so good. <laughs> and I would get. 
and nacho cheese gordita and the cinnamon twist, which are air covered in sugar. And then the potatoes yep. was mostly just cheese. I'm sure it was like squeezed out of a bag. And then a Baja Blast, of course. I was just talking to Joy, who's my virtual assistant, about Baja Blast. And I worked there for so long and I don't think I ever tried it. See, I don't like Mountain Dew. Like never have. I mean, I don't think that I should and I'm glad that I don't. But I was like almost shocked to learn that Baja Blast was Mountain Dew. But it is and it was so good. But I'm sure now if I had it, I mean, I don't know. No, it was maybe a good like mixer. A, like a frozen. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like a frozen one. Frozen Baja Blast. <laughs> like a frozen G&T. Yeah. That yeah. was like my... Drink before I should have been drinking was Baja Blast. Yeah. With other things. Yeah. So you talked about along your journey, getting injured and realizing how much nutrition really mattered. And I think that's really unique. I don't know if a lot of injured athletes that I talk to like get that out of their experience. So what allowed you to learn that? I don't think it was like one point, if that makes sense. I think it was definitely like that entire journey. And then pairing that with, like, the coursework I was doing, I, like, started to make these connections, especially sometimes when we're so close to injury. And just in general, I think a lot of the myths that we've heard growing up, I remember when I was injured, I was really worried about gaining weight. And I think now when I work with athletes, that's probably the number one concern where it's, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to train. I need to stop eating. I had this conversation with one of my pro athletes the other day who was like, okay, well, I need to stop eating pasta because like I tore my ACL. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's take a couple steps back right now because there's no reason that we have to stop giving our body energy, especially, you know, in the beginning of an injury because our body's hypermetabolic and, and all of that. And these are things that I didn't understand. I started to realize as I lost all my muscle, especially in that left quad, how much more challenging my rehab was becoming. When I would compare myself with teammates who were going through the same thing, you know, I could only hold a wall sit for a minute and they were at four minutes and- Sounds miserable. Like healthy, four minutes, miserable. Yes. It's impressive. (laughs) Um, So just like those, those, those types of things. So what was your, just in general, this is selfish, like what was your rehab like, your ACL rehab? I would say it was a long time ago. So my rehab was six months and my rehab was prepping me to play again. So it was my first game of senior year and everybody had assumed that I was going to be taking my fifth year. So everything was geared for me getting back onto the field. So I do think it was fast tracked. I'm lucky to have no problems now. And I think my athletic trainer was great at the time. Shout out to Abby. But I definitely think the rehab that I'm seeing now with the athletes that I work with who are probably going through programs like yours is much more probably intense. It sounds like it's a nine to 12 month recovery now compared to six months. I remember there was athletes around me going back after five months, which is very fast. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's something that I think we have a ton more research on now, which, and I, I hope, and I think that we are always doing like the best that we can with what we can, but I still see today people not following the research coming. I mean, the way that people sometimes present at five months to picture that person going and playing is just like a retear waiting to happen. But was there ever like an aha moment where you kind of changed your mindset about nutrition during this rehab journey? I think it was probably a couple months after because I started to realize that I had been avoiding something that was so essential to my recovery. I always get the analogy of like a car, right? So if our body's a car, right? I don't know, what's your favorite type of car? Well, yours, you as an example. What's your car? Well, so I have a really old forerunner. She's tw- I have a forerunner. Okay, well, mine's like 2003. Okay, so like we are, <laughs> we are, uh, she's been in the family for a while. We have like 230,000 miles on her. Everyone knows about her. But so my next car still want to be a forerunner, but just not, not 20 years old. Cause they last forever. Last forever. They're like roaches in a nuclear war. Like they are, I've had multiple mechanics be like, you are indestructible. And I'm like, all right, let's it's curb. <laughs> you have a forerunner too? Yes, I do. Yeah, they're great. Um, so, okay, you were going to, I don't know, do you like to go anywhere? Where do you like to take your forerunner? Um, to the gym, to work, to the beach, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere, right? Yeah. So you're doing like a beach trip, right? 
What's the first thing that you're going to do with your forerunner before you like leave if you're going to go on a beach trip for a long period of time? Yeah, make sure. Well, I, I learned I need to have good tires. That was one. Thing. Yes. Yes. Good tires. <laughs> yeah. My dad always drilled like, go get your oil changed or checked before you take a big trip. And then of course, gas. Exactly. Right. So gas in the fuel tank. Same thing applies for us, right? If I'm going to go to my rehab, if I'm going to go play, if I'm going to do any type of workout, then if I don't have any gas in my fuel tank, how am I expecting my body to get the work done, right? How are you expecting to get to the beach or get through your beach trip if you don't have any fuel in your tank? And so that was something that you didn't really understand during your, I guess, like time as a collegiate athlete. I was so worried about the negative effects of food that I was never like realizing the positive effects of, of food. And I think what really helped me was making small sustainable changes. So I was not ready. I always joke, I was actually talking to my mom about this the other day, but I always joke that like if I was available, like I could have always used me like as a sports dietitian. I could have used me now as a resource, but I was not ready to listen to me. Like I don't think I would have listened to me. And as I went through this journey, I had to almost like start listening to like what I maybe my body, what I knew was best and make small sustainable changes. So building that trust and kind of also rewiring my brain and my mindset based off like I, rewiring it from like a lot of the misinformation that is out there. So, okay, like I'm going to eat a small snack before I go to rehab and like, okay, like I was able to push a little bit farther today or like I didn't get hungry when I was on the table and then want to cut my like icing short, like even small things like that. Um, so I started to like almost build that trust with small sub sustainable changes. That's honestly really impressive. That, and I, I see how that was really effective because you got positive reinforcement. Like exactly. you got really quick real-time feedback in a way that mattered to you because I think with so many athletes – as a rehab professional, maybe as a dietitian, like we have goals and we have things like I want you to be able to do and I want you to be able to show me this. But if it doesn't matter to them, if it doesn't relate back to them, then then they're not in it. Exactly. And that's something that I realized too for athletes of all levels. So before I jumped into private practice, I was the director of performance nutrition at UCLA. And so I worked with I was lucky to work with some of the top athletes from the world, uh, From the, I mean, honestly, from the world. And they would come into my office and be like, hey, I want a meal plan. And it's like, mm -hmm. whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, let's like, get to know not, each other. <laughs> yeah, like, let's get to know each other. Like, something that I always preach to my athletes is like, let's like make a sustainable change before and after your workout. And then, then they like start to see the benefits and importance of nutrition. So then we get buy-in from them. So you kind of led yourself along this process while you were learning in school. Yep. And so now what does that look like with the people that you work with? Like what's your process? What kind of people do you work with? What does that look like? Yeah. So at Riley Beatty Sports Nutrition, which is my kind of company, we do- Kind of. No, it's your company. It is my company. <laughs> yeah. It has my name on it. Yes. <laughs> kind. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I really take a, I like to call a positive nutrition approach. So it's always about like, what can we add in to make you more efficient and like a better athlete, but then also a better human. A lot of people jump to like sports nutrition and we don't even have the basics of nutrition covered. So calcium, iron, these are like micronutrients that athletes need for their health. So if we don't have a good health base, like we can't just jump into doing supplements or performance nutrition. So using those kind of pillars, we do a positive approach. So what can we add in to optimize your performance, to make you more efficient, to make you, again, a better human? So an easy example is if an athlete comes to me and is like, I ate two pieces of pizza after I work out, right? Instead of being like, oh my gosh, you're the worst person ever because you ate pizza. It's like, okay, let's balance this out and like let's add in some things here to help, you know, optimize your nutrition. So why don't we add a salad on the plate first, right? We focus on adding the salad on the plate, and then what the athlete will do is they'll put one piece of pizza on the plate instead of two. So instead of being like, you should only eat one piece of pizza, we've added in something positive, and therefore they've responded. And so therefore, now we've started to build a healthy relationship with fueling. The Healthy Charleston Podcast is brought to you by Made to Move Physical Therapy. Made to Move Physical Therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. 
We offer relationship-oriented, one-on-one, individualized care to all of our clients, and we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at Made to Move, check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. So kind of back to what you were saying before about, like, I don't think that we're really taught these things. I think we all probably have some misinformation ingrained in us. And I'm sure we can talk about this all day. Like, where does that come from? Why are we so focused on the negative? I don't even want to say negative effects. It's like the potential negative things that we think food is going to do to us. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, and I think it's just human nature to be fear motivated. Hmm. Right. So when we look at, you know, just everything in life, it's more about like what this is what's going to happen if you fail, not like this is a potential if you succeed. So, oh, my gosh, if you eat a carbohydrate, like you're going to get undesirable body composition. That's easier to sell. And people are more motivated than that by that than like you should eat a carbohydrate and you're going to gain muscle and you're going to become stronger. It just we like we have to rewire our way of thinking. The the easier to sell thing that's huge because it's oh, yeah. it's marketing. Oh, it's so marketing. I was like reading a fellow dietitian sent me something and it was talking about how content on Instagram or TikTok that is incorrect is more likely to go viral. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you just scroll through it and like as a medical professional, you just get so irritated and then you post something that you're like this is positive and this is correct and like your mom likes it and you, there's crickets. It's like, it's <laughs> Thanks, <mom. laughs> so much easier to be like, here's the mistakes that you're making and then turn it positive. And people are like, oh, and you're like, yeah, that was clickbait. But like, that's what you have to do right now. Yep. And like you said, it is our brain. Like we are always trying to avoid pain and like we're always fear motivated because it's survival. With your current athletes and people that come to work with you, like, how do you get the information that you need? How do you know what their deficits are and what to add? So I work with highly motivated athletes at the club, like high school club level, college, Olympic, and then also professional athletes. And then I do have a program that I've worked really hard on over the past couple of years and you know refined, gotten athlete feedback on that program, which is called the Performance Fueling Club. And within that program, we have a pretty intensive onboarding process. So when an athlete applies and joins the program, they'll do a three-day food log so we can understand and I can understand what you're eating because, again, it goes back to those small sustainable habits. And also, I always tell my athletes, like, I'm not the food police. Like, I'm here to help you. If you hate peanut butter and me telling you to eat peanut butter, like, every single day, like, you're going to be mad. I'm going to be mad. Like, we're not getting anywhere. So that food log is super important getting a training schedule, so understanding like what your training looks like right now, intake questionnaire, understanding like what medications you're on, what supplements you're on, because we do a supplement review as part of our process as well. So that framework or that intake questionnaire, making sure if you're a female athlete, you have a regular menstrual cycle, which is imperative to that health piece that we talked about. And then also we review all your supplements as well. So it's a completely separate supplement process. Gotcha. So very in-depth, like getting a lot of information. Yes. And then we really, we take all of that information and then all parts of the, pro- or I guess the program includes an initial consultation. So we'll run through all that paperwork. I'll ask you questions. And a lot of athletes in our programs like to submit pictures of their plates so they can get individualized feedback as well. So the type of people that you work with, you said like highly motivated. Yep. So I'm sure there's a difference between like the girl who's playing club soccer and then the woman in like an Olympic sport. Yep. How do their needs and like, how does your approach change? That's a really great question. So at the end of the day, we're all, we're all people. And this is a question I get all of the time is like, what's the difference here? Like what's your, you know, approach? How does that change? And most of the time it usually just changed like they're motivated by different goals. But most of the time, all athletes like kind of have the same like goals and they also have the same struggles. It's really interesting because I do work with a lot of, you know, motivated people who are like lifelong athletes. So those who compete in marathons, Ironman, 
just go to Orange Theory, you know, or like F45. CrossFit, I'm sure a lot of CrossFit. athletes do that. Yeah. You're like, I'm not an athlete. I just do CrossFit. Do you do like yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I'm just like picturing an athlete right now that I worked with who had like we had the same conversation. She's like, I don't know if I'm like an athlete enough to like work with you. I'm like, how many times do you work out a week? She's like ten. I'm like, oh, get out of here. Oh like, what would be the limit then if if that's if ten is not enough? Yeah. So and then it's super interesting. I just had her actually um, on one of my podcasts, and then one of my professional athletes messaged me saying that she really resonated with her and it just was really interesting because you have somebody who is a lifelong athlete and then you have somebody who's a professional athlete and and they're both um, resonating with each other's stories which kind of goes back to that point of we're like we're all kind of people in the end um we all have our we all have similar struggles yeah and i'm sure the misconceptions are like very widespread and common Everybody's scared of carbs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's dive into that. So that the, the name of your podcast, Eat More Carbs, we yes. are really trying to get the word out there. Yeah. Tell me, why are people so scared of carbs? I think we're just always picking something. So I was born in the 90s and in the 90s, we were terrified of fat and now we're terrified of carbohydrates. I think we just pick one of our macronutrients. We one of the just, things that we absolutely need. Yep. So we need protein to survive. Like we need protein. Protein is structured a little bit differently than carbohydrates and fat. So we're not really going after protein. We seem to be going after carbohydrates and fat. Have we ever gone after protein? No, but nobody get any but, ideas. <laughs> but like you know, most people still are not eating to their needs either way. Some people are scared of protein because they're worried about. I hear this all the time with female athletes. Like, I don't want to get bulky. Like, you can't get. You can't get. Bulky I've been trying then. for years, lady. <laughs> yeah. If you figure out like let, figure let out how know. to do it, let me know because I'm gonna sell that or something. Right. Get yeah. bulky. Yeah. yeah. So just like, again, we're always choosing something. We, yeah. we are always afraid of something. I remember the fat thing. And then it was like the complete pendulum swing of people putting like butter in their coffee and just yes. like chugging olive oil. Yes. I just remember like, again, I'm dating myself, but those 100 calorie snack packs. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they were taking out the fat and they were adding in carbohydrate, which is <laughs> okay. That's fine. Right? We, we need energy. But, like, I can't imagine us doing that in, like, today's age. Oh, but I think if you walk in any grocery store on those aisles, like, the things that you see. I mean, I ate – I was talking with my friends the other day about what we ate for lunch or, like, growing up. And I would have, like, a cookie. And then I would have my cheese stick. And then I would have – the like, we would trade the 100-calorie packs because if my friends had the Oreo ones, like, that's the one that I wanted. Um, Lunchables. I'm like, how did – how was I okay I don't know. I don't know. I am no always, meat. <laughs> I know it's no. I see this all the time with my high school athletes. No breakfast. You know, maybe a slice of pizza for lunch. We're going to soccer practice. Then we're going to lacrosse practice, or we have a lacrosse game afterwards. And then we come home and we're starving. And then we backload all of our calories. And then we feel bad about it. Yeah, and then we probably form a not so great relationship with food. So for, so everyone knows, what are the benefits of fueling properly? Yeah. So there's so many, like, benefits. And it's almost like I can't put it into words. Like, I have to, like, show you. Um, I think the biggest thing that I hear from athletes once they start our programs and they start, like, fueling properly is the immediate increase in energy. That's probably the number one outcome that I see is, holy crap. I cannot believe how much energy I have or like I'm going into practice and I'm not hungry or I'm not, you know, dying at the end. That is probably the number one like biggest change I see. I think the second one is like definitely mindset and freedom that when you start developing a better relationship with food that that brings you. I always joke with my athletes. I'm like, Okay, if you start feeling properly and you heal your relationship with food and you stop thinking about food all the time, because that's what a lot of us are doing, then like you're going to have to come up with a hobby because like you're not going to, you know, be focused on this so much. So I think that freedom and then the energy are the two biggest things. But again, like the list is so long. That's a great point, though. Like these people that that's all they're thinking about and probably in a a worried like negative way that they're thinking about it. It's very stressful to them. It's 
on their mind a lot. Like what happens when you don't have to think about that anymore? Exactly. I mean, even thinking about like for a club professional, you know, high level athlete where they might get nervous. A lot of athletes get nervous before their games. And if you know what to eat and you feel confident with your fueling plan, being able to go into that game with less stress because you already have something dialed in, then that can help with performance and confidence and that anxiety. Yeah. And you're probably going to enjoy your life more and perform better too and play better. Let's start with general nutrition and then get more specific into athlete. Like what are the main basic things that someone could or should do to work on fueling properly? Like the big rocks. So I think when we look at like general population and even with athletes, I use something called the performance plate method. So that's where I would recommend starting. And an easy way to do this is to make one third of your plate fruit or vegetable, one third of your plate protein, and one third of your part of your plate like a grain or a starch and eat this for three to four meals throughout the day. Usually what happens is you're eating two out of the three categories right now, so you just need to add something to your plate and kind of adjust. So an easy example of this would be for breakfast, you could have two eggs with one to two pieces of toast, depending on what your toast looks like, and then you could have like a cup of berries on the side. Most people don't want to eat vegetables for breakfast. but I know that is weird, but I feel the same way. Unless yeah. it's like peppers in an omelet. Yeah. Yeah. So what I usually say is try to make that, yeah, that color on your plate fruit at breakfast, half fruit, half vegetable for lunch, and then for dinner, just vegetable so that we have our four to six veggies and our two to three fruits throughout the day. And why are those things and why is that structure helpful? So when we look at food, we have six what we call essential nutrients. Any guesses on what those are? Oh my God, you're going to, I mean, gonna do this. like nutrients or like macronutrients? Kind of. So there's six essential nutrients that we have to get through an outside source. Okay. Glucose. Kind of. That's a carbohydrate. You know too much about this. Okay. So carbohydrates, one of them. Yep. Okay. Protein. Protein. Fat. Fat. Great. Okay. These are our macronutrients. I was like, is this a trick question? <laughs> She's like, I did not sign up for this nutrition <laughs> consult right now. <laughs> right. I promise this is going to make sense. So you have your carbs, your proteins, and your fats, which is your energy or macronutrients, right? You need these nutrients in macro amounts because they provide energy or calories for the body. They all have their specific purpose, but they're all providing energy. You have three other nutrients that don't provide energy. Any guesses on those? I think you said iron and calcium earlier, so I feel really good about those. Minerals, yes. Oh, just general. Okay, yep, got it. General, yep. Uh, vitamins. Vitamins, yep. And then the the sixth one is the hardest and the easiest one at Water. the same time. Look at you. Yes. Okay. She got it. Amazing. Thank you. Right. She was like whispering the answers to me. <laughs> I'm holding it up on a sign. Um, so you have those three nutrients that don't provide energy, but they provide other valuable like nutrients and resources for your body. Vitamins and minerals are micronutrients and you need them in micro amounts. So you can think about your body as like a house, right? Your macronutrients provide the structure of the house, but they all have different purposes and roles. So I mean, I just, I think, always think of a house because everybody's building in Charleston right now. (laughs) (laughs) Houses are on everyone's mind. Yes. So like the wooden structure of the house is like the protein. The walls of the house are like your carbohydrates. And then like the roof shingles are like your fat. Your vitamins and your minerals are going to be the tools that you use to build the house. So you're not going to like put a hammer in the wall right? Like as raw energy, but you're going to use a hammer to build the wall efficiently. So the same thing in your body where the micronutrients don't provide energy for the body, but they help them fun- it, your body function properly. And then water is kind of like the land that the house sits on and it encompasses everything. So you need all parts of the, of the house or you need all of these nutrients for your body to function properly. And by eating one third carb, one third protein, one third like color, what I like to say, with two to three servings of fat on the side, it can provide a really good initial foundation. I love the house analogy. That's great. I think when people realize, so like in in college, when I told my, I guess like distant relatives, they're like, what are you studying in school? And I was like, exercise science. They would say, oh, I didn't know there was a science to exercise. And you know, I was like, wow, okay, education. But people don't understand that there's a science to nutrition. It's like literally all we're just chemical reactions walking around in a body and that you need things to fuel that. I think 
you know, talking about gas in a car, like the materials of a house show you why it's so important. It's not even that it's important. It's mandatory. Exactly. You can't build a house without the house, right. <laughs> the materials. And like if you were building a house, right, like you could use the wooden structure if you were re- if you really wanted to to build the roof. Would it be like optimal? No. Would it be efficient? No, but it would work. And that's the same thing with eating and fueling too. It's like you could skimp on certain macronutrients, but you're not going to be as efficient and you're not going to be optimized. So with athlete nutrition, I'm imagining it's more specific, more in depth. What are you mainly looking at there? And like, what are the some, some of the biggest changes that you make? Yeah. So, I mean, it's no secret that athletes like burn more energy. So they need more energy. And usually that's in the form of carbohydrates. So with athletes, really making sure that there's energy available around training around games to make sure that we have proper energy availability so we can tap in and make sure that we have high energy. I mean, that's really important. I feel like the team or the athlete that has the most energy is most likely going to win. Um, So really optimizing that energy availability. And then outside of training, making sure that we can get the other nutrients in in a way that supports the athlete's goals. So still you would think maybe athletes, you know, they need set meal plans and all of this stuff. But a lot of the time too, these athletes have gotten to the level that they have by doing it maybe their way. So when we just do like some basic nutrition stuff, we can really optimize their performance. So carbs I'm hearing um, is energy. Yes. And then protein. What are you finding are people eating enough? Are people not eating enough? These athletes. Yeah. So carbs are energy for high intensity work. So as I like to do like a little diagonal graph, again, you can't see this, but um, as energy intensity increases, your carbohydrate burn increases. As your energy intensity decreases and when you're at rest, you burn actually more fat as fuel. So it kind of just rotates between those two. And then protein is muscle building, muscle maintenance. Most athletes are getting enough protein, but they're not getting in it at the right times. And I see this too with the general population where we're not really eating any protein at breakfast. We might be doing some protein at lunch. And then most of our protein's coming at dinner, which is totally fine from an enjoyment perspective. But we're, if we're looking at optimizing our nutrition from a performance standpoint, we need to spread out that protein throughout the day. Yeah, that's something that I noticed personally. Even if I look at the end of the day and I'm like, I ate enough protein. There's times in my day if I have like a really big gap that like it's always between lunch and dinner, like lunch and my workout that I'm like, I'm hungry. I'm getting tired. I don't feel very good. And I'm like, oh, I haven't had protein for three hours or for four hours. Exactly. Yeah. And protein's a little bit different. Like I don't want to bore everybody with too much science, but on a very basic level, we don't really store protein the same way that we do in carbs and fat. So if we're not getting it in, you know, every couple of hours, um, we're going to be really feeling those effects. So you want to make sure you're, you're not loading all of your protein at once because then you're not really getting the benefit. Yep. Okay. So many things. I love the science. I'm going to get into the science. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about Nutrition for injured athletes. How does that change? What do you tell your your athletes? Yeah. So athletes I, that are injured, I always make sure to reiterate how important fueling is. And I always like to go back to that house because you might not need as much energy from certain macronutrients, but you still need those micronutrients. And if we just stop eating, right, we're losing all six of those essential nutrients. We're not just decreasing our energy. A lot of athletes, too, don't realize that the rehab process is a lot of work. I see you're shaking your head. Like, it's <laughs> a walk in the park, especially like an ACL post-op. It, is, it should look like a workout, people. It should be hard. <laughs> exactly. And if you're not giving your body enough energy, and I actually go as far as if you're not, if you've lost weight, you're not fueling enough. Like, that shows me that you're not consuming enough energy. I would rather you gain weight or main, and the goal is to either gain a little bit or maintain because then we're providing enough energy for our body, um, especially with that muscle rebuilding. I mean, I just think about my ACL, my little quad, like it didn't have enough protein. It didn't have enough carbohydrates um, to build. Yeah, I think most people don't realize that. I think pain, pain 
is different, but for injured athletes and just for like rehabbing injuries in general, we are probably needing to build some muscle. Yes. And we are probably trying to get those muscles stronger, more capable, more durable. And you don't build muscle differently in rehab than you do in workouts. Exactly. Which means you need, and I'm, well, there's also like the potential that they were never fueling the right way ever. Exactly. That is like such a huge point where like, if you're not eating the right things before, like again, like jumping into healthy eating with air quotes or trying to put this huge plan into place when you're not doing the right things before, it's just, that's not going to work. It's not sustainable. Yeah. So it's like, yes, we, we need to do all these things. You need to be fueling properly during your rehab, but then you really talk to them and you realize like you were never doing this. I, um, I posted something, I don't know, might've been yesterday about like getting people back to baseline is actually not the goal for a lot of athletes, a lot of ACLers, because at baseline, especially high risk female athletes, we're in such a deficit with a lot of different things, strength, neuromuscular control, nutrition, recovery, uh, mindset. So it's like just getting you back to baseline at baseline, you tore your ACL. Yes. Which means like, I think people just forget how much or not forget. They just don't realize it's nine to 12 months for a reason, because we are trying to change years of this athlete in one year like that. You would, if I told you that you'd be like, no, that's going to take longer. Yep. Exactly. It is, it is lifelong. Like it is, it's such a long journey. I know people that tore their ACL years ago and they still have a smaller quad on that side. They still struggle because they, they just didn't have the right resources. Yes. I really want to echo that point where you said like, we're reworking years of maybe like bad behaviors. I work with athletes for like months at a time. My programs are like minimum three months because even at the three month mark, I'll have an athlete come and be like, oh my gosh, like this is what's happening. And I'm like, okay, you've been working on this and like feeling your body properly for three months. You're 25. Like how long have you not been, you know, doing these these things? Yeah, it takes a while. And it takes, I think, and I want to get your opinion on this, like systemic change in the in the the schools and the clubs and like sports in general. What do you see? Let's start with the positives. Like what has changed positively in the last few years in athletics? Yeah. So I definitely think that there's more focus now on things that are happening outside of the sport or off the field. Like our kind of field, the sports dietitian, sports nutrition field really kicked off in about 2014. And then that, I think the importance of nutrition is starting to increase. Also, same thing with mental health. There just is more resources. There's, there's more conversation around it. I do think social media has helped that in a little bit because now people are aware of the resources that are available. Obviously, we know the negatives of social media, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to nutrition, mental health, I'm sure physical therapy, we're saying we're seeing the same things. Um, so I think it's just going to be a continual like battle, at least in the social space. When you're working with teams and schools and like bigger contracts, what do you feel like are the the main things that still need to change that you're trying to help them change like systemically? Every single team that I work with, I would say the biggest concern initially is like a fear of carbohydrates at all levels. People are still scared to eat carbohydrates. And then especially with, you know, collegiate and professional athletes where they've been doing something a certain way for such a long time and it's gotten to them them to the level that they are today, they're hesitant to change. And also like, that's okay. You have to meet an athlete where they're at. So again, those small sustainable changes where it's like, okay, I'm not going to eat, you know, carbohydrates after my, after my practice because I'm scared that I'm going to get bulky. Like I talk about this probably every single day. What's like, maybe let's choose like a less scary carbohydrate. Like if you're scared to eat rice or a grain, right? Like start with a banana maybe, or like some grapes or some watermelon, like maybe a carbohydrate dense fruit because it's a little bit scary. I think if you come in and you try to start making all these changes, like people are just going to get overwhelmed and they're going to close you out. I think it's ironic that people started demonizing the banana 
if you remember that. I know, I know. <laughs> I like, know no, it's all sugar. And I'm like, oh, wow, we don't have a basic understanding. <laughs> the craziest thing is, is people are scared of bananas. And then there's this like new banana pasta at Whole Foods that everybody is like a, like there's a big. Banana pasta? Yeah, it's just bananas. Like they've literally made pasta out of bananas, which I. Like why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Processed foods at its finest. <laughs> right. But then like we're okay with banana pasta, which is just bananas. That's the only ingredient. Yeah. But then we're not okay with the banana. Or the pasta. Or the pasta. I'm like, <laughs> can we just eat the banana by itself and the pasta separately? Like, why do we need to combine them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So. So along the note of carbs, tell me, how do we feel about Gatorade? I am actually team Gatorade. <laughs> um, I think there is a lot of misconception with Gatorade, and it goes back to that idea of like, Athlete nutrition is not the same as general population nutrition. Riley right now, old Riley, not working out, right? Not a whatever collegiate soccer player, works out for like general health, probably doesn't need that Gatorade. And that's okay. Unless I like the flavor of it. I want to have it, you know, as a treat or I don't like know. Like you do a race or competition. Exactly, right? Athletes might benefit from the Gatorade. When we look at sports drinks, there's like three components that I'm always looking for, right? First one is like obviously fluid, right? We need fluid replenishment. But then we're also looking for carbohydrates and electrolytes in a sports drink. For high intensity work, like we talked about earlier, carbohydrates are your main source of fuel. And you can't really store carbohydrates like efficiently or in large amounts on the body. So having something to help replace those carbohydrates when you've been doing high intensity work for an extended period of time is beneficial. And that's why there's a carbohydrate in there. Um, additionally, the carbohydrate will actually stimulate thirst. So you drink more. And then also it's going to help you absorb the electrolytes faster. So carbohydrates in there for multiple purposes. And the carbohydrate is equal to sugar. Sugar and carbohydrates are the same thing. Um, and then we're looking at the electrolytes. So the main electrolyte that athletes lose when they sweat or we all lose that when we sweat is going to be sodium. So we want to look for a sports drink that has sodium in it. Gatorade kind of accomplishes all three of those buckets. So. I'm picturing a graphic where you write all the benefits and then you go to the next slide and it's like, it's Gatorade. Because yes. people are like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And then you're like, by the way, it's Gatorade. It's Gatorade, yep. There was a big marketing push for body armor and like coconut water, mm -hmm. but there's no sodium in that. So there was no electrolyte in there. Yeah. Um, so just kind of understanding like what you're looking for in a sports drink. And like you said, it's different for your needs. Like context matters because the general population who goes to work all day and like maybe works out, maybe doesn't, like you don't need to be sipping on Gatorade. But that doesn't mean that your kids who play sports won't benefit. They they do need that. Right. And also like, don't just drink Gatorade. You need to drink water too. Yes. No, right. I'm hearing only Gatorade, Riley. <laughs> this is full of Gatorade now. I need a Gatorade sponsor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my God. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Okay. What's your favorite flavor? The Any of the blue colors. Okay. There's, yeah. okay. So there's two. So I grew up, I was a very sick child. I don't really know why. A lot of tonsils, a lot of mono, and I okay. drank so much Gatorade. Yeah. Um, And I would say, mom, I want the blue. And sometimes you'd go to the store and there's the dark blue. There's the and dark blue. And it is disgusting and it is wrong. <laughs> you need to get, is it glacier freeze? It's glacier freeze. It's like the light blue one. Yeah. Yeah. That is it. That's the yep. only one. Yeah. No, that's such a good one. When people get, I have a friend who like loves the yellow. No, not the like, Do you just want to drink like pee in a cup? I just, it's so gross. I feel like there was a bunch of us, I was actually talking to my husband about this, who like grew up in the era where like Gatorade was put in the coolers with the powder and then yeah. at, would sit at the field. Ew. And then they'd pour it on the coach. That still happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it would just like all of the the flavor mm. would sit at the bottom because it would be sitting out there for like eight hours because it was a soccer tournament yeah. or a basketball tournament or something. And so like you would get like, if you were at the top or whatever, you would get like no flavor, but then it would just be like the straight yellow powder. Yeah. I was at a CrossFit competition participating and we opened the cooler and I remember my coach was so mad because someone filled it with Gatorade Zero. And it was like, <laughs> he was like, do you understand what this is? And there's no point. And I, he just got, and I, I don't think people think about that. They yeah. see zero, they see zero sugar. And maybe if you're like a Gatorade addict and you're not at a CrossFit competition, Gatorade Zero might be a good choice for you. But we were like, oh, 
I just drank three Gatorade sugars and zeros and got nothing from it. And they have less electrolytes too. Right. So it's, it's like, like zero benefit. Yeah. But again, like if you need to, it, it goes back to like, there's three components in a sports drink. And if, if you're drinking Gatorade zero because it gives you fluid, then like it's better than nothing. I always like to ask this on our, you know, health oriented podcast. What's something that you're working on in terms of health, wellness, fitness, something that you're working on this year? I am really trying to – that's a really good question. Does it have to be nutrition-related? No, just anything. I'm always – every single year, my New Year's resolution is to do more yoga. I – like, being a retired athlete, like, I really struggle with, like, low-intensity type activity. And I think that's just – I mean, you need to be a well-balanced person. So I do a lot of high-intensity stuff, like run, play soccer, lift, all – spin again all high intensity stuff so i'm trying to incorporate more like low intensity like mindfulness but like still low impact activity like yoga being one of those things what's your favorite type of yoga class i actually really this is probably not helpful for my high intensity but i really like a hot yoga class. yeah of course you're like <laughs> i really like power yoga like, well yeah that's high t- that's a boot camp yeah so <laughs> yeah so I like a hot, like a vinyasa. So I like okay. a flow. Um, I don't really like like power yoga or anything like that because yeah. I'm like, that's not necessarily what I'm here for. But again, that's like just my personal preference. Yeah, for sure. Love it. And what is the way that and the first step that people can find you and work with you? Yeah. So I have a website that is www.rileybeatty.com. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok, you're doing it. (laughs) I mean, not well, but we're there. We're here. Um, And then it's Riley.baby.nutrition. And then also have a weekly podcast called Eat More Carbs. Awesome. Love it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please subscribe. Follow us on Instagram if you're looking to connect with Riley. Her links are in the show notes below. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.